Our texts are very brief, and you can follow these in, uh, in the order of worship in your bulletin. We'll be starting in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. I think most of you have heard uh, at some point the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you may or may not have a lot of familiarity with, with uh, Bible content, but this is a pretty well-known passage, just kind of even uh, part of our, our cultural literacy. We talk about, you know, Good Samaritan laws, things like that. And, and I've mentioned this to several people recently, that the older I get, the more I identify with the bad guys in that story. And if you know the parable, what happens is a man is traveling... Uh, from Jericho, and he's attacked and brutalized by robbers. And he's not killed, but he's left for dead on the road. And um, three men end up passing by him. The first one is a priest, so he's clergy, and he sees him, and he doesn't help him, and he passes on by. And then the next one is a Levite, that's sort of another you know, clergy figure, sees the situation, and doesn't help him, passes by it. And the third one is a Samaritan. And the Samaritans and the Jews had just an extremely tense relationship. They basically hated one another. And the Samaritan is the hero in the story. And he, at, at, at really personal expense, he cares for the man. And Jesus' parable commends him. Now, when I was younger, and I heard that parable at an early age, when I heard that parable, you know, at first I thought, I don't like those other two men. I like that Samaritan man. I, that's That's... You know, kind of like, I'm with him. But I'll tell you, the older I get, and now that, and I don't necessarily like this word, but now that I am clergy, I'm telling you, I identify with those guys. Uh, I mean, I can just picture that it's 1025 and a homeless man walks in to our church lobby and needs something, and it's five minutes till worship, and my mind is spinning, and I'm preoccupied, and I'm just thinking, you know what? Let me love you later. And that priest and the Levite, I'm not going to preach on this parable, but, you know, there were, if they touched a wound that became ceremonially unclean, and that would, that would jeopardize everything that they were going to do. So just logistically, I just find myself, I'm seeing myself as the culprit. And here's the interesting thing. Although it's convicting, as that happens, the truth of that parable begins to really wash over you. And it's not as if the truth just got in there when I realized it. It's always been in there. The meaning has always been in there. But what, in a sense, what unlocks the door is when you identify with the person that needs the truth. Now, the reason I say that is that we're about to read a short commandment and then an echo of it, a reflection of it in the New Testament. And when you hear the the word steal, it's easy to have a mental picture that has nothing to do with your life. You know, you can picture just kind of like a movie cat burglar with like a black, you know, skull cap and black clothes and maybe a mask. And he's jimmying open, you know, like you've got these little burglar jimmy things. And he's sticking it under the window and he's going after the jewels in the bedroom. And that, you know, it's so clearly different from who you are. It's so removed from anything, probably, that you've done that you, you, that you don't connect with it. You don't identify with it. And what my prayer has been for me and for us would be that as we meditate on this together, 
is to identify with, with theft. And on the one hand, that's going to mean conviction. But the great thing about the Word of God is that you don't have to be discouraged about identifying with the things that convict us because the good news is for people who are sinners. And to sin is to fall short of the glory of God to not keep the law of God. If more and more we think about theft and you're starting to see, that's got a lot of me in it. It it should cut us. But it's a therapeutic cut so that the good news will be as sweet and good as it really is. Exodus 20, beginning in verse, and really just verse 15, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and God commands... You shall not steal. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask now that we would see ourselves not only uh, through the law that you give us, but, but in the law that you give us. And in seeing that, we can see how much we need Jesus. And then we can see the beauty of one who didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And we ask this in his name. Amen. What, again, uh, we, we will be best served if we identify with this text or these texts. And so what I want to look at is this. Um, if, if real theft that has anything to do with our lives is not so much the guy uh, that looks like, you know, the Hamburglar or whatever. Uh, do you remember Hamburglar? Kind of a lesser known McDonald's character now. But, uh, you know, if, if that doesn't really at all connect with our lives, as we unpack it, is to see, okay, well, how is this in my life? Because, again, we all fall short of the glory of God. We have all, in different ways, broken the law of God daily. So here's what I want to look at. First, the reality of theft, not the, not the cartoon mental picture, but the reality of theft and the heart of theft. What's driving this inside of us? And then the end of theft. Okay, the reality of theft, the heart of theft, and then the end of theft. First, the reality. If if the real theft that we need to think about is not the Hamburglar, what is it? Okay, let's think in two ways. Not just who's the person. It's not a cartoon character. But what's the act? You know, if it's not jimmying open the window and taking the jeweled necklace out of the jewel box in the bedroom, then, then what is it? But Okay, first the person. Who, who is stealing? Who is it who's stealing? And really, you have only to look at the news to say, it is everyone. Um, a, few, a few snapshots. Celebrities shoplift. And when they do and it gets caught, it's sort of a, you know, it's kind of a delicious thing to talk about in the news that, wow, look at them. You know, they got all this money, but look at them shoplifting. Very naughty. 
But you also get the lesser-known people who, they may not be celebrities, but they're upper-middle-income or upper-income, shoplifting, uh, or maybe diagnosed with kleptomania. It has nothing to do with need. It has nothing to do with just being in dire straits and needing to provide for their family, but they feel a real charge out of it. And though it's manifesting the signs of addiction, they kind of both hate it and like it, and they keep doing it. It's everybody. And by the way, in a few weeks, about a month from now, when parents are having to bite their lips to control the profanity that wants to come out as they undo the wire backings of toys that they're trying to liberate from these wire... Okay, the reason those are there is because of how prevalent theft is and shoplifting is. That's just all that stating the obvious... But I think even then, just to say that, it kind of can leave all the application out there somewhere. So let's bring it in a little bit closer to home. When God gives the law at Mount Sinai, to whom is He speaking? You know, is it to those thieving Philistines? You know, those sneaky Hittite burglars? He is not speaking to the nations who do not know Him. But He is speaking to the people of God. And and get this, sociologically speaking, He is speaking to recently, very recently freed slaves who don't have a ton of stuff. And they're not going to have a ton of stuff for about 40 more years. But He knows that when you get in that promised land, I know what's going to happen. Do not steal. And I'm not talking to the Egyptians or the Hittites or the Canaanites. I'm speaking to Israel. Do not steal. And the passage that we read from Ephesians, to whom is Ephesians written? When Paul says, let the thief stop being a thief. Let him steal no more and share with people. To whom is Ephesians written? Is it written to just Ephesians citizens? Just the citizenry of Ephesus? It's written to the Christians in Ephesus. And if you need proof of that, all right, a couple of, couple of uh, thoughts. When, uh, when, when Paul Billy and I were in seminary in St. Louis, the president of the seminary said that every year, every year of the seminary, the seminary had to order multiple copies of the Bibles, uh, replacement Bibles for all the Bibles that walked out of the chapel. Okay, when you've got ministers in training stealing Bibles, Christians steal. And, and, here, and here's a little sneaky thing about the heart. I thought about this when I was looking at a hymnal in my office that I borrowed from my church about 30 years ago. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting around to it any day to send it back. Is that a way that you can be a thief and not feel like a thief is that I didn't take it, I borrowed it. I just haven't given it back yet. And I know that's what was going on in people's hearts. You know, again, they did not come in in dead of night with flashlights and blacked out faces and lift the Bibles out of the chapel. It just, it just happened. It flowed out of us. Another example, I've seen more than one uh, news piece on this, that one of the worst areas of breaking piracy laws when it comes to illegally downloading music is Christian music. It's one of the areas that is most... It's one of the greatest areas of trespass 
are, we would assume, Christians pirating Christian music. Okay, so here's the thing. It's anybody. All right? If that's the person, it's not the Hamburglar, it's real people, then what's the act? Um, Christians talk about there, there are two kinds of sins. There's sins of commission and sins of omission. A sin of commission is when you do what you ought not have done. A sin of omission is when you fail to do something you ought to have done. Theft can, can be both. Commission. It could just be simply taking things that are not yours, just plain and simple. It could be to take, uh, if you room with somebody or share a house or an apartment, to take money they left lying around and never missed. It could be to take their food. It could be when you're at work to, uh, to look around at all the office supplies and to go, you know what, we have got a pile of ink cartridges here more than we need, but it is, you know, I really feel it when I have to pay for these wretched, expensive ink cartridges for my printer, and they use the same one that I do at home. I do some work from home. And to take it. Um, If you have an expense account in your work, ripe opportunity. All kinds of ways to do that. I don't want to walk you through all the ways, but... You know, it can be things like uh, when you're at home or on the road. You know, you could buy things at a gas station. And the receipt that you submit could just simply look like this was just, you know, money for gas for my travels. But you can buy other things at convenience stores, too. Or it could be that, uh, that the receipts that you got from the hotel, you know, now they're handwritten, the tip and the total. Merchant copy, customer copy. So you could, you know, give a lower tip. It's the actual tip that the server got, but you could be reimbursed for the larger tip, and you could conceivably, it's been done, pocket the difference. Uh, You can use a credit card to buy things that you cannot pay for. And I don't simply mean I can't pay for it now, but when the next paycheck rolls around, this is just... To bridge the, I mean, you cannot afford, but have decided that you will have. We can, that's epidemic. Um, you can realize that you could access something through work besides ink cartridges. You might really want, you know, you might want Photoshop. Can't afford Photoshop, but there's Photoshop at work and there's a way to get it on your computer when that wasn't approved. There's all, there's all kinds of ways to just do it flat out, take what's not yours. There's also omission. Idleness. And that's I-D-L-E, not I-D-O-L. But being, which is something that we don't talk about a lot, but Scripture is very honest about. Um, I saw an estimate, I've seen different figures on this, but I saw an estimate that social media takes about an hour and a half out of the average computer users. Now, I don't mean a, comp- a full-time computer, I mean just somebody that works with a computer. It takes about an hour and a half out of the average work week. I would say that's a very low estimate. And... To do that on the clock, but to be expected to be paid as if we worked all that time on the clock, 
That's what the Bible calls idleness. That's a form of theft. Pay me for work I did not do when the work was due you and you paid me with the assumption that I was doing it. That's a, that's a, a sin of omission. And another one is to withhold what we owe um, to man or to God. For instance, we owe taxes. Now, there are legal ways to minimize your tax burden that are according to the letter of the law. And there are illegal ways. And it tends to be our demographic that gets the most creative with ways to minimize. Withholding what is owed to the authority that God puts in place, that's a form of theft. But you can even rob God. Did you know that? In the last book of our Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, God is very confrontational with His people. And He says, you know, you say that you want to know me. You say that you want to love me. But you have robbed me. It's very in your face. And then God almost role plays to to say our words for us. He says, but then you'll say to me, how have we robbed you? And He says, by not giving the tithe, not bringing money into my house. And let me say this. If you're here this morning and you have your thinking cap on and you're hearing me quote that from the Old Testament saying, aha, but, but, that was in the Old Testament when there was a temple and they did the tithe thing and we're not under that anymore. We don't have a temple on earth anymore. Uh, If you mean a building, you're right. But do we still have the temple of God? You know what the temple of God is? We are. And to not be open-handed, to be tight-fisted. To be tight-fisted, maybe not in an Ebenezer Scrooge way, but to be tight-fisted because, you know what? The tuition at our school is killing us. Or whatever form it takes, whatever rationalization. To be tight-fisted and not liberal and open-handed with the people of God and the church of God is a form of theft. And the amount is between you and Him. But the question is, why is the amount what the amount is, if it's anything? Because it is directly attached to the heart. That's the next point. Okay, what is driving this? If you th- what is the heart of theft? One thing we'd have to say is this, and this goes all the way back to the very first temptation. At the very first temptation... Satan comes to Eve and tempts her to eat the fruit that God forbid her to eat. And she says, you know, if we, if we touch it or even look at it or eat it, we'll die. And Satan lies and says, you will not die. And then what is the hook? He says, God knows that if you eat of that, that your eyes will be opened. So he knows that if you eat that, you'll understand and experience things that right now only he understands. And right now only he experiences. And so what, what's the baseline narrative there? God is holding out on you. I mean, he has all the power. And he controls everything. He's God. He is holding out on you. The, the first reality of the, the, the heart of theft is a suspicion of the goodness 
of God. Because he's got all this power, and he knows everything, and he sees everything, and he sees that I really need this, or that I really want this, that my life is hard. I'm not asking for jewels and yachts. I just want this to feel better, and he won't even give me that. And Satan would say, that's a great point. And he keeps saying that he loves you. What's the deal? The second thing is this, is is just the love of things. Now, if you're visiting this morning, I feel the need to qualify and say this. I, I would love for you to come back and hear all the other times when we talk about how God's the one that gives us these good gifts of food and drink and friendships and homes and music and arts and even good wealth. I mean, the, the things that we possess and enjoy, that's a gift from the Lord. The things are not the problem. The problem is to give your heart to them. Is to fall in love with... How do you know that you don't just enjoy something anymore, but now you love it? Is when you sense in your life that something's wrong. There's something wrong in my life right now, and the go-to thing is a thing. It's a meal. Something's wrong, so I need books. Something's wrong, so I'll download this. Something's wrong, so I'll get this for my house. But it's, it's the things are the go-to rather than God. And, you know, Jesus tells another familiar parable. The parable of a man scattering seed falls on all kinds of different ground. He said the different kinds of ground represent different responses of the human heart. It might fall on just patched rock-like soil, not good. It might fall on real shallow soil, grows a little bit, scorched by the sun, not good. It might fall on good soil and reap all this fruit, that's good. But there's this third soil. And it's where the seed falls in good soil, but there are these weeds around it. And the weeds are the cares of the world and the pleasures of the world. It's bills and rent and stuff we like to do, and it chokes out what grew. And Jesus says, even though that's good soil, basically, uh, that's a deal breaker. The plant doesn't make it. The love of things. And the third thing is this. I'd be be, uh, asleep at the wheel if I didn't say this. One thing that lies at the heart of theft is just something that's in our hearts as sinners is it's fun. If you don't get caught. It, It can be a real charge to just stick it to the man. Whether the man is the boss or the corporation or the employer or the federal government or the roommate that ticked me off, whoever, the spouse. But there can just be a real charge for us to say, you know what? Tough. I know it's not the case that it's mine, but it is mine. And though that's a logical problem, I don't care. The end. What is the remedy for this? What's the end of theft? I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ 
when he began his public ministry, is tempted by the devil. Same devil that tempted Adam and Eve. And one of the temptations is, why don't you bow down to me? And if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms, kingdoms of the world because they are mine to give. And he means all the cultures, all the wealth, all the riches, all the stuff, and all the people. Bow down to me and I'll give them to you because they're mine to give. And Jesus quotes the scripture, keeps the law of God, doesn't yield to that temptation or any others. And, here, and here's the irony, is that at the end of his public ministry, you find him... He has made the Jews angry. He has made the Romans angry. He has, lost, he has so literally lost any material thing that he has that he is no longer wearing clothes. He has nowhere to lay his head. He has no possessions. His followers, for the most part, have left him or are keeping a very safe distance. And finally, he loses his life. And that what God does through this, and again, if this is a lot in a little bit of time, I hope you'll keep coming because we, te- we are teasing this out all the time. But that what God does through that is through his poverty, Jesus is raised from the dead and is given by God what was always due to him anyway as God's own son. And that is everything, the cosmos all its riches and variety and wealth and people is His. And here's the amazing thing. It says in the Scriptures that if you believe in Jesus Christ and trust in Him rather than in your own goodness, you become a co-heir with Him, which means that He's not only going to inherit everything, but we will inherit everything with Him. Now, let me say this. I know... Right now, if you're in a tough place financially, or you're without a job, or whatever the pressure cooker is, that it's easy to hear that and go, you know what, that's great, and actually, I do believe that. But you know what, you don't get that till you die. And I haven't died yet. And I have rent. And I have car payments. And my roommate keeps leaving 20s lying on the kitchen table, and it's kind of starting to get to me. How do I know that there's a safety net for me? How do I mean, I believe it, but how do I know this inheritance is real? And you know what's great? The Bible says God literally has left us with a possession as earnest money. You know what earnest money is? Like, here's some of the money I'm going to give you later, but just so you'll know that this future money is real, that real money is in front of you. Earnest money, deposit. God left us a deposit guaranteeing that we're going to get everything. And you know what it is? The Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians 1.14 that He has left the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And let me say this to you. If you are here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you feel this inner turmoil in your life, and maybe you're a man, and you really do follow Christ, but you struggle with pornography. Maybe it really got its hooks into you. And you know this is something that must be forsaken to follow Christ and to find life. 
to find what's better, but, but it has its hooks in you. And there's this war inside of you. Wars aren't fun. But you know what's great about those wars? That is the evidence that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you're someone who needs people to approve of you, and there's a war inside of you, you're going, God approves of me. God signed off on me. God loves me. I don't need other people to justify me, but I want everybody to like me. And you feel that jarring your insides. It's not fun to have your insides jarred. But the encouragement is that that war means that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that is a deposit. That is God saying, one day, the stuff you're picturing right now that you want will be laughable. You will live with such fullness that this will all seem like sawdust. And I want you to feel the reality of that. My spirit will be in you until my son returns. How do you know that's grabbed you? Uh, I want to end with this. How do you know that that has become real in your life? You know who's a great picture of this? A guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a guy who was a tax collector, which meant he ripped people off and they hated his guts. And he has an encounter with Jesus. And mercy bursts into his life. And out of the blue, without any lectures from Jesus, Zacchaeus just says freely, Lord, today I will give half of my possessions to the poor. Half of my possessions. And if I have defrauded anyone, I will pay them back fourfold. All right, that is a great template for if these things have grabbed us. Are you a thief? All right, join the club. But here's the good news. As Jason said beautifully, he was crucified between two thieves. He was identified with thieves. Not because he was a thief, but he took thieves' punishment and gives them life and cleanses them of their theft and changes us. If this has grabbed your heart, it's going to mean some things in our lives. It's going to mean there may be things you need to repay. That might look like cash left back on a spouse's or roommate's dresser. It might look like money sent anonymously in an envelope. It might look like paying for things you downloaded but never paid for, or erasing them if you can't pay for it. Restitution. But it also means this. It's giving things away. I want to end with this. There's a verse in the Bible that says that you can loan money to God. Did you know that? Can you picture coming up to God saying, all right, what do you need? That's a crazy way to express anything with God. Proverbs 19.17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and He will repay him. When your life, I don't mean like the token charitable thing at Thanksgiving and the token charitable thing at Christmas, but a giving with open-handedness to have-nots if you're a have. You lend to the Lord. 
and He will repay you. Let's pray together. Father, cleanse us of our thefts, our secrets, they are many. And may we follow in the ways of one who did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many, to bear punishment between two thieves. Lord, we pray that the inheritance that awaits your people will be so real that we can repay or downsize or liquidate or give away. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.